You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. I named this message this morning, A Glimmer of Hope. And I want to preface by saying that things are relative. And when I mention a glimmer of hope, I'm talking about the the announcement uh, by the angel of the Lord to uh, Zechariah that he and Elizabeth were going to have a son who would be the forerunner. Later on, after John the Baptist, that's who that was. Later on, when John the Baptist was born and did all that he did, Jesus called him a burning and a shining light. A burning and a shining light. But that burning and shining light called John the Baptist was but a glimmer of hope. When you compare him to the Lord Jesus and what Jesus did when he came and who Jesus is to us. So uh, when we're talking about a glimmer of hope this morning, we're really actually positioning an idea to be compared to a greater, a greater idea, a greater light. And so even though John was a great light, he was but a glimmer of the light of who Christ Jesus was. So we're talking this morning a little bit about um, the episode where uh, the angel of the Lord came to Zechariah and told him that he was going to have a son. So there are five things. How many of you can remember five things? If you can't, just pick out one really good one. But I want to say five things this morning, and I'm going to take a circuitous route, packed full of really juicy tidbits, if you don't eat the whole meal, snack a little. Just get what you need. But number one, God has a plan. God has a plan. Never caught off guard. Number two, God answers prayer. Number three, believing is a key to a meaningful Christian life. Number four, God helps us believe. How many of you are glad about that? Yeah, God helps us believe. He wants us to. And number five, hope is faith's offspring. Accurate believing generates hope. So those are five things. Listen, God has a plan. Darkness doesn't matter. Society doesn't matter. What's going on? Well, it matters, but something matters more. God has a plan. God answers prayer. Believing is the key to a meaningful Christian life. God helps us believe. And hope is faith's offspring. I have some water over there. Could someone please assist me? Are you sanitary, my good man? Oh, that's great. Awesome. I don't want to take a bullet for the team, you know. In closing, no. It's been 400 years in Israel since the last prophet spoke. 
And it was as though heaven had nothing to say. Andy mentioned this earlier. Through generations of trial, speculation, heartbreak, Roman occupation. But then a glimmer of hope came. And here's the idea. 400 years is basically older than our nation, longer than our nation. I think some of the original um, explorers, particularly from England, that we know about, that could have been people even before that, came in the 1600s. So if you think about the length of our nation, or even, even the uh, earliest, earliest days of Roanoke Island or maybe even before um, some of the Scandinavians got here, God knows. But um, for 400 years, no word from heaven. Um, I realized growing up, when my mom and dad got really, really quiet, I knew I better pay attention. When they got real quiet, I realized something was up and I better be listening. So the story goes that the angel Gabriel visited Zechariah. He was an elderly priest. During his once-in-a-lifetime ministry at the altar of incense in the temple. Um, you may not know that much about the temple. You may know a lot about it. But one of the stations in the, in the Jewish temple was called the altar of incense. And um, so there at the altar of incense, Zechariah is ministering. And your prayer is answered, announces the angel. So the angel tells the elderly priest that he and his barren wife would have a child. The miracle of John the Baptist's birth marked the end of Israel's long spiritual drought and the beginning of something even better than one could hope, something much greater than a glimmer, Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, was the forerunner sent to announce and identify that God God himself would dwell among them, the imminent arrival of the Messiah was near. So I want to examine this story that surrounds the birth of John the Baptist and identify some of the patterns of God's intervention. God's intervention after long seasons of silence because we need to be encouraged. You know, earlier, Andy, I think, had us pray. God speak to us. God encourage us. And I believe that's what the Lord wants to do, and he does it in so many, many different ways. But we need to pay attention. Do you understand what I mean? You need to, um, you know, one of the most productive things you can do is get alone and not produce anything. Just get alone and ask the Lord. Get, Get beyond all the thoughts that dominate you. Ask him to speak to you. Because I know this. I have known the Lord for many, many decades now. And any time the Lord has ever spoken to me, even if it was a correction, it was a peaceable exchange. There was kindness built into it. So at the very worst, God may correct you, but he'll do it with kindness. See, we don't really know the Lord as well as we really should. Actually, um, 
after John the Baptist was born, Zechariah sang this prophetic song. And in it, um, he talks about the amazing kindness of God. The amazing kindness of God who can never forget to show mercy. That's wonderful. The kindness of God. When you think about God, do you think about him being kind? That's a question. Do you think about him being kind? Let me find this verse. This is too good. I can't find it. Here's another good verse. You will preach to his people the revelation of salvation life, the cancellation of all our sins to bring us back to God. Do you know the basis of us, our relationship with God is that he forgives us? That's the new covenant. It says the new covenant will I give them. They shall no longer, um, it just, it just, but basically it comes down to, it says for, he will be merciful to their sins and his iniquities. He will remember no longer. So the very basis of the relationship we, we have with God is based on his kindness. And when I'm speaking this morning, I want to say this. So, so many times we struggle to believe, but God it wants to help you come into that place of confidence and rest to where you know what he's like. And it doesn't terrorize you. It doesn't torment you. It encourages you and it comforts you. So for generations, Israel had been subjugated to foreign nations. When God had promised to send the deliverer, the Messiah, the king, who would utterly save Israel from their enemies. Well, Zechariah, this same priest, rehearsed that promise when John was born. He said this, praise be to the exalted Lord God of Israel, for he has seen us through eyes of grace. And he comes as our hero God to set us free. He appears to us as a mighty savior, a trumpet of redemption from the house of David, his servant. Just as he, hear this, promised us, just as he promised us long ago by the words of his holy prophets. They prophesied he would come one day and he would save us from every one of our enemies and from the power of those who hate us. That's a quote out of Psalm 106, verse 10, that we find here in the book of Luke, that Zechariah rehearses um the promise of the coming Messiah, but in the context of the supernatural birth of his son, John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of the Messiah, who would announce him. So here's the story. The book of Luke begins with this unusual story of an elderly barren couple who God promised to give a child. So during this period of history, there were 20,000 priest in Israel. And the way they chose who would uh, assume which post in the temple, some of them very prominent, some of them very mundane and out of the way, they would cast lots. How many of you know what casting lots is? 
It's like rolling dice. I don't know how they did it, but somehow they cast lots. And perhaps for the only time in his entire priesthood, Zechariah, this elderly priest, his number came up. I don't know what that means, but they cast lots, and they determined he was going to serve at the altar of incense. So twice a day, a priest burned incense on that altar. And as the incense burned and as that smoke ascended to heaven, it represented the prayers of the nation, God's acceptance of the prayers of the nation as the smoke would go up. So here's the story. Zechariah was old. This was probably a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This was a great honor for him. And so as he was offering incense, an amazing thing happened. Verse 11 in Luke 1 says, All at once an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing just to the right of the altar of incense. According to what's in the Bible, written in the Bible, this angelic appearance was the first one in over 400 years. In other words, when the word of the Lord stopped coming, uh, it stopped coming, it was concluded by a prophecy in Malachi that prophesied of the coming again of John the Baptist in a sense. He would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, hearts of the children to the fathers. But it was also concluded by a promise God had given a prophet named Zechariah, oddly enough. And that was the last prophetic utterance heard in Israel. So the amazing thing was, the last word of the Lord came to a prophet named Zechariah in 400 years, an initiation of a brand new season of hope came to a man named Zechariah who was a priest at the altar of incense. The only time he would ever be that in his, in, in, uh, in his, the entire history of his priesthood. And suddenly there's an angel and it scares the dickens out of him. How many of you would be afraid if an angel showed up? Well, every time they show up, they're telling whoever's there to stop being afraid. <laughs> There's some fears worth having, I think. <laughs> hmm. I really would like to experience something like that myself. I've had experiences, but not quite like that. But uh... So this is the first appearance of an angel recorded in the Bible in 400 years. And Zechariah is terrified. And so the angel begins to speak to him, and here's what it says. Zechariah was startled and overwhelmed with fear, but the angel reassured him, saying, what do you think? He said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God is showing grace to you, for I have come to tell you that your prayer for a child has been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to name him John. So Elizabeth was barren. The Bible says in the King James that Elizabeth was, um, that, that uh, Zechariah was old, an old man, but Elizabeth was well stricken with age. And I think that's interesting. Um, you have to be careful how you describe your wife, I guess. Anyway. His birth, the angel said, will bring you much joy and gladness. Many will rejoice because of him. 
He will be one of the great ones in the sight of God. He will drink no wine or strong drink, but he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even while still in his mother's womb. And he will persuade many in Israel to convert and turn back to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord as a forerunner with the same power and anointing as Elijah the prophet. He will be instrumental in turning the hearts of the fathers in tenderness back to their children and the hearts of the disobedient back to the wisdom of their righteous fathers. And he will prepare a united people who are ready for the Lord's appearing. So that angel tells Zechariah all of these things. You know, there's several wisdom keys to personal breakthrough. Here's what happened. When Zechariah prayed for Israel, God answered Zechariah's prayer. What am I saying? Sometimes when we pray for ourselves, we'd be better off praying for someone else. When Zechariah prayed for Israel... For God to answer Israel, God answered Zechariah's prayer. Here's, here's something you cannot deny. There are more offended people in the world today than I could ever imagine would be offended. Everywhere you look, somebody's criticizing somebody else over something. Let me tell you what happens when you get offended. When you get offended, your discernment is skewed. When you get offended, you begin to cut off the grace that God has for your life. Listen, you cannot afford to be offended. Actually, I will promise you this. The breakthrough you need is often connected to having mercy for the people that have offended you the most. Listen to me. Please listen to me. And if you can justify your offense, you're in much more trouble than you even recognize. Somebody shout amen when you hear the truth, please. You cannot afford an offense. You can't afford it. My goodness. When we are offended, we lose accurate discernment. Listen, the enemy's tactic is to get us offended to shut us down from our answered prayer. Pray for your enemies. I was reading the book of Hebrews the other day. And over towards the end of the book, it talks about the difference in the blood of Abel and the blood of Jesus. And it says the blood of Jesus speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. Do you know what the blood of Abel cries out for? Justice. Do you know what the blood of Jesus cries out for? Forgiveness. It doesn't say justice is wrong. It just says that's, there's something greater 
that the redemptive viewpoint cries out for in culture, in society, in the world. And it's not just justice, justice, justice. Let me tell you something. If we all received justice apart from the grace of God, we would all be in serious, serious trouble. When is the last time you cried out for forgiveness for those people you... For politicians, for people in power you disagree with. And I'm guilty. I have thought often you hear about this, that, and the other things people have committed. They never held accountable. And I'm saying, Lord, where's justice? The Lord says to me, where's forgiveness? Now, does that mean there's justice? No, it says of better things. It doesn't mean that justice is not a good thing. It just means that there's something better that could actually change things on a much wider level. And it's the forgiveness of God. And it's the congregation of people having mercy and kindness for friends and foes alike. It's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance, the Bible says. It's the kindness of God. It's the broken heart of God. It's the shed blood of God. It's it's the dying Savior, the one who's saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Now, you want to notice the angel of the Lord comes and says to Zechariah, your prayer is answered. Another place it says the prayer you no longer pray is answered, which would, he was an old man. His wife was a well stricken in age. She couldn't bear in her youth. She was ashamed. We find that in the text. She was ashamed. But when the word of the Lord comes, the word of the Lord by the angel said, your prayer is answered. Was Elizabeth Elizabeth pregnant yet? No. Did she even know at that point what the angel told her husband? No. But what was heaven's perspective? Heaven's perspective was not your prayer will be answered. Your prayer is answered. There's something about the way heaven looks at life that we just don't get. And here's another thing. Our prayers oftentimes have greater potency and shelf life than our faith does. They had prayed that prayer. I have a I have an image in my mind of this container called Zechariah and Elizabeth prayer and it's been sitting in heaven for 60 70 80 years and it's radioactive it's going But when you look at it, there's a timer on it. It was a time release prayer. It had to have the strategic timing. How many of us have we prayed things that we didn't realize when it didn't happen? Well, there's a timing. It was a strategic. The answer was coming. Now, why, why did the angel 
show up to Zechariah. It was to encourage him to believe. Because Zechariah and Elizabeth were going to have to participate in the fulfillment of the promise. So there would be a supernatural part that God would have to make them fruitful. But then there was a participatory part, and that's the wonderful thing about the Lord. The Lord doesn't want to do things apart from us. He wants to do things with us. He wants to do things together. Then the Lord tells him what to name him. Name the child John. It says in verse 13, don't be afraid. God is showing grace to you. And John's name means God is gracious or God is showing mercy. And he promised that this son would bring him much joy and gladness, that many others would rejoice at his birth. He would be one of the great ones in the sight of God. He'd be devout. He would drink no wine or strong drink. He would be filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Unheard of. Unheard of. Actually, if you read on, he was filled with the Holy Spirit when pregnant Mary spoke to Elizabeth. It's crazy. These stories are crazy. I believe them. How strange. I believe them. Why not believe? Why not be persuaded that, yes, you'll go through things. Yes, there'll be dark days. Yes, but God will do great things. I believe this is a season. <clears throat> I believe this is a season where God will answer impossible prayers. How many of you would like that for God to answer impossible prayers? I think about some prayers for our children, some prayers for our friends, some circumstantial situation things. Why don't we say, I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to believe this is a season where the impossible is going to happen. He will persuade many in Israel to convert and turn back to the Lord their God. He's a forerunner. He will immediately precede the Messiah's appearing. The same power and anointing of Elijah the prophet. This is who John was. He will be instrumental in turning the hearts of the fathers in tenderness back to their children and the hearts of the disobedient back to the wisdom of their righteous fathers. I'll tell you, one of the things that blesses me the most in my family is when I see the heart, not just mothers have for the kids, but the hearts my sons have for their children, that they want the best for their children, that they do things for their children, that their hearts are turned in tenderness to their children. I love that about my children, my sons, when I see the way they respond to their own children. Here's the thing. It took 30 years for all of this promise to be fully fulfilled. How about that, though? The prayer you don't even pray anymore is answered. The prayer you don't even pray anymore is answered. I love the way the Bible, it's one of the reasons I believe the Bible is it doesn't leave any of the 
frailty and stupidity and wrong moves that these guys made. I mean, an, an angel, an angel, it was indisputably an angel, appears to Zechariah, gives him this promise, and here's what Zechariah says. How do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man, and my wife is too old to give me a child. What sign can you give me to prove this will happen? The angel was saying, me? Me? Hello? Are you? (laughs) Do you realize why you're scared? (laughs) Hello? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Give me a sign. I mean, if an angel's not a sign, what kind of sign could you get, for goodness sake? They didn't have neon. But it says an angel appearing to him and talking to him at length was not enough of a sign. Oh, my goodness. The wonderful thing is God was going to, I don't know, this is the way I think. I think in sort of pictures and sort of prophetic implications. Where, for the only time in his entire life, was Zechariah ministering? It was at the altar of what? Incense. What did that represent? Prayer. So when the angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah, what does he talk to him about? An answered prayer. And he still doesn't get it, you know. We can get so wrapped up in religion, we just don't get it. We don't see the forest for the trees. But the angel says, I'm Gabriel. I stand beside God himself. He has sent me to announce to you this good news. But now, since you did not believe my words, you will be stricken silent and unable to speak until the day my words have been fulfilled at their appointed time and a child is born to you. That will be your sign. Gosh, I don't even know what to say about that. Although it happened. So God gave him a sign. And Zechariah didn't speak. God answers the prayer. Verse 21 of Luke 1. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for the next five months. And she said with joy, see how kind it is of God to gaze upon me and take away the disgrace of my barrenness. How kind. God delights to deliver people from shame and disgrace, no matter what kind it is. Six months later, after Elizabeth became pregnant, that same angel visited her cousin Mary. And when the angel spoke to Mary, he called Elizabeth the barren one. The barren one is now in her sixth month. Not one promise from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God. You know, we've, I don't know if I can speak for everybody, but there's there's been so much sort of, um, disappointment. How many of you, uh, 
there's been so much disappointment in people's lives. And there's been so much discouragement in people's lives. But it really encourages me to know that, and it strikes me this way, that the way God would describe a pregnant woman to Mary, who needed her own faith to believe in the birth of Messiah, that he would call Elizabeth the barren one. Think about that. That's what the Lord says to Mary, the barren one, the real old barren one, your cousin is in the sixth month of her pregnancy because not one promise from God is empty of power. For nothing is impossible with God. It's difficult to preach this when there's disappointment that looms at us. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But there's another side. Do you know there are times and there are seasons? Just, just like there was a strategic timing on the um, on the birth of John the Baptist. Everyone's life is not the same. Some people some people find success early in life. Other people can go through years and years and years of discouragement. And then in a moment, on a dime, things turn. And it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Suddenly, everything you touch, it, like it turns to gold. And then there's another category of people where they go through their whole lives and nothing ever really seems to work for them. But they find something in God that makes it not matter. Oh, gosh. That they have already been delivered from their enemies. They are already free from those who hate them, according to these words I read earlier, because they have found something in Jesus himself that supersedes, that exceeds any natural kind of success or benefit or acclaim or victory of any natural kind because he is just that good. But sometimes you can't discover how truly good he is until you know how difficult life is too. And so he doesn't want you to give up. Early success, midlife success, late life success, no success. Here's what true success is. Knowing God, knowing him intimately. Can you know him to the degree that you can live above life's disappointments and shadows and troubles and unanswered prayers? Yes, yes, yes you can. Yes you may. Do I do it? I do it sometimes. Do I always do it? I don't always. Do it. Is it God's fault? I'm not laying that at His feet. 
I learned years ago, none of this is God's fault. If you don't get that, you're missing something very vital. He doesn't make mistakes. Oh, my goodness. He doesn't. He doesn't even lie. It's not like he, 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 he won't lie. He can't lie. I could lie. I won't lie, but I could. It's one of the basic differences in me and the Lord. Come on. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh. Oh, oh. Thank you, Lord. I'm listening too, ladies and gentlemen. So here's the thing. The Lord speaks to Zechariah. Zechariah, oh, he's old. His wife's well-stricken. They become pregnant. Miracle. Look at somebody and wink at them. I don't know. Do something with that, though. Miracle. Miracle. Don't be winking too much now. Anyway, she becomes pregnant. She hides, the Bible says. She goes into seclusion. That same angel tells Mary something even more extravagant. You're going to be impregnated by the Holy Ghost. Then the angel says, and you know the barren one? Go talk to her about it. She's in her sixth month. So off Mary goes. Let me say this. Mary had an Elizabeth. Do you understand what I mean by that? Mary took more faith than Elizabeth did. Mary had an Elizabeth. Mary had someone that had believed for something impossible that helped Mary. Oh, my goodness. Mary had an Elizabeth. I had a Charlie Wallace. I remember when I was, Charlie and I uh, went to, he's a, I knew him, I I met Charlie. My introduction to Charlie Wallace, I'm going to brag on myself because I did such an amazing thing. In Little League, when I was 12, I hit three home runs in one game. Three home runs. I don't mean it went by the guy, went through the guy's legs, it went over the fence. They couldn't get it. Legit. Now, here's the problem. See, only three I hit. What is up with that? I don't know what's up with that. I haven't figured that out yet. Three home runs in 15 games, but just one game. What I didn't realize was one of my future high school friends was playing first base, Charlie Wallace. He saw that that next year. We were in school together, junior high. Between our junior and senior years in high school, we went on a young life trip to Colorado. Both of us made a commitment to Christ that seemed to last, I don't know, maybe a month. (laughs) Who knows what I'm talking about? I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this salvation thing is a process. And so I went to college and, you know, didn't live up to my expectations from heaven. And so when I went back home for one of my breaks, I went over to Charlie Wallace's house. And when I knocked on the door, a human light bulb opened the door. You you may ask, what's a human light bulb? It was Charlie Wallace. 
I'm, I'm serious. It's like he glowed. And I said, what happened to you? And he said, I, I had a terrible time in college. Um, long story short, I recommitted my life to the Lord. I got filled with the Holy Spirit in a way I never knew you could. And I love Jesus. Mary had an Elizabeth. I had a Charlie Wallace. Now, who are you to someone else? See, that's the thing. Who are you to someone else? What kind of an influence can you be? Here's a whole whole story. We're all called to be a John the Baptist in a sense. We really are. I heard this whole thing about a me culture versus a a we culture. You know, Japan has a we culture. They're concerned about their whole culture. We're concerned about ourselves. We are such a selfish nation. It's just about what we want, what we deserve, what we need, when we want it, where we want it, how we want it, what we're going to say if we don't get it. And that's a terrible way to live. Now, we ought to be a we, believers ought to be a we culture. What's good for everybody else? That's true. What's good? What can I do for you? Mary had an Elizabeth. I had a Charlie Wallace. Who has you? Who are you to somebody else? What can you do for them? My life changed because his life changed. But my life changed because his life changed and he had something to say about it. He demonstrated something beyond what he and I knew together in high school as nominal believers trying to do it right, but basically in some ways unempowered. I've been thinking about Otis lately. This little baby boy, grandbaby of Andy and Amy. They just love that little kid. They just love him. There he is. He can't earn any money. He can't even talk. I'll tell you what he does real good if I'm right, but he sleeps. Right? He drool, probably drool some. I don't know. And he just looks sweet. Right? Right? He's just a little baby. We're talking about Advent season. What we're actually talking about is the coming of the Messiah. And we're talking about 400 silent years, and we're talking a little bit about um, prophetic viewpoint, what we can see. We need to be able to see differently than other people see. You know, there was a man, and he was an old man. I don't know, the Bible's talking a lot about old people today. Thank God, huh, folks? Yeah, I got like three weeks, and I'm 70. I don't even get that. That doesn't even register. My barber says I don't look a day over maybe 60. I said, well, you ought to be in here looking out, bro. I'm just telling you. No. But I lost my train of thought because I'm a me person. I'm not a we person. I was talking about myself. No. So there was this baby Jesus who was born. And there was this old prophet. But this old prophet had heard something. He had heard. This is wonderful. He had heard that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. 
He heard that he wouldn't die until he saw the one that wouldn't only save Israel, but would be savior of the world. He had a vision way beyond even Judaism. And so on the eighth day after Jesus' birth, the Lord tells Simeon, go into the temple now. And he goes in, and the Lord basically says to him, there he is. And so in an eight-day-old baby, I think about Otis. Who's Otis going to be? What does Otis say to us? What does a baby have to say to you? So he picks the baby up and he praises God and he starts prophesying. He says, Lord and Master, I'm your loving servant and now I can die content for your promise to me has been fulfilled. With my own eyes, I've seen your word, capital W, the Savior you sent into the world. He will be glory for your people Israel and the revelation light for all people everywhere. We need eyes to see, ladies and gentlemen. So what can we learn this morning? God has a plan. God answers prayer. Believing is a key to a meaningful life, and God wants to help us believe. And hope is faith's offspring. Accurate believing generates hope. So. Amen, amen. How many of you have impossible situations? That, yeah, why don't we just stick our hands up in the air if that's us? Hey, listen, um, one of the reasons I sit down is the chiropractor told me that, um, he knows people in wheelchairs whose backs aren't in as bad a shape as mine. That's just the reality of it, okay? But I believe God wants to heal me. Now, that's just me. I'm just being personal. There are other people in the room that need something impossible, we would consider. Something beyond the natural. How many, how many, and we go, oh, I don't know. I don't want to be disappointed. I just soon just going to get disappointed again. I'm at least going to take a swing, right? What will it hurt, right? But maybe God will do it. How many of you have one of those? Just stick your hand up. Just stick your hand up. Come on. So let's pray. Father, you, you give us your word. You give us these examples. And Lord, there's so many among us that have impossible situations, illnesses, sicknesses, circumstances, all kind of things. And in our minds, we think, oh, that's not going to change. But Lord, we're going to dare to believe and we're going to ask you for each person that raised their hand, each person that has an, a need, we ask that you would touch them now, that you would bring those answers, that you would change supernaturally body chemistry, 
you would break off all sickness and disease. Why not? All, Lord, you would, you would change situations and circumstances. You would fix relationships. You would break off mental turmoil and distress that's not from you, that you would bring peace, that you would bring wisdom. Or some are in turmoil because they listen to all the wrong stuff, Lord. We're looking unto Jesus this morning, aren't we? Let's just say this together. Lord, I'm looking unto Jesus. I'm looking unto Jesus this morning. He's the author. He's the finisher of my faith. He brings healing virtue. We receive it now, Lord. We receive answers to prayer. Even though we don't see the answer manifest, we remind ourselves that the angel told Zechariah before they were pregnant, before they were enabled, your prayer is answered. Lord, bring miracles. Bring healings. Bring reversals. Lord, bring that level of hope. Oh, man. Oh, man. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me tell you why hope is so important. Hope and joy. Lots of times the miraculous springs out of hope and joy. Did you know that? It really does. We need to fight for our hope, ladies and gentlemen, and we need to fight for our joy. We really do. We need to fight. Well, listen, there are a lot of fights out there you can pick. Let me tell you which one to pick. Pick the fight against losing your hope and losing your joy. Fortify yourself. Strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. Say what he says about you. Believe what he says about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. God bless you, folks. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 